Last week, if you were here, I told you that I'd like to share a few pictures of my recent trip in Africa. And I wanted to do that primarily because, not because I have really exciting pictures of elephants and tigers and stuff. Um, I have pictures of people. And I wanted you to see some faces, um, mostly because I've sort of fallen in love with some of these people. And I want you to see their faces because I just have a really good feeling that you're going to see them someday in glory. And it will be great for you to walk up and say, yeah, I saw your face. And we'll all have new bodies, and that will be cool. So, anyway, I wanted you to see a few of these faces of these brothers and sisters, your brothers and sisters in Christ from Zambia and Botswana and Namibia, which, if you look at a map, is in the south part of Africa, just north of South Africa. So, we were there for a couple of weeks, and I joined a team led by Carl and Patsy Green, um, and we went to three of the largest cities in those uh, three countries and did what could be simply called pastor equipping or teaching. Um, so I just wanted to show you a few pictures. We can put them up on the screen. The first one is of a fellow named Pastor Barney Mulenga. And he, this guy is just one of these sweet, uh, amazing guys who stood up and just opened our time with the Word of God. And I thought, this is a man gifted in God and God's grace. And I thought, this is somebody God is really using. It just so happens about a year and a half ago or two years ago, this fellow who's a pastor of a church just had this burden for the children in his village who were totally uneducated or not, didn't have opportunity to be educated. And he started a Christian church, which now numbers hundreds of kids, or a Christian school, I'm sorry. And it just it's turned the whole area upside down for Christ. Just one of those amazing things. So when we gathered together, we basically we had about 25 pastors together. And then in another room, we had about 25 pastors' wives and women church leaders together. And we just did what would be like simple Bible equipping. What we did was is we focused on three areas, which is GTN, Global Training Network, the, the organization that Carolyn and I have joined. Um, we focus on Bible and character and skills skills for ministry, those fundamental, basic kind of things. And, and several of these pastors, um, they pastor churches of 75 people or 100 people or 200 people, and many of them have had like two weeks of Bible training, if you can imagine this. It's just amazing, the resources they don't have, nor the education that most of them don't have. One pastor uh, pastors a church that's meeting in seven locations has 3,000 people. And he's never been to seminary, never been to Bible college, and he was so hungry for us to open the Word of God with him. And just, we actually worked through Ephesians and worked out a preaching plan for Ephesians. It was just, it was incredible. And they open the Word of God and search the Scripture, and they listen to every word you say, and then they take whatever it is you give to them, and then they... Then they give it to others, and they train others who will be, in turn, train others also. Let me give you a couple of names. There was a couple of guys that I just got really close to. Um, th- this fellow is named Pastor George Mushabati. And one of the things about this part of Africa, well, actually all over Africa, they love to give their churches really, really incredible names. He pastors a church that he calls Rivers of Fire. I thought, man, I want to show up there yeah, some Sunday. And this next next picture is Pastor Joseph Malianga, and he pastors a church called Jewels of Glory. Uh, this, this is cool. And anyway, we, I just had some sweet times with them, and they helped me understand uh, a lot that I didn't understand about Africa, and particularly the whole thing about their roots being deep in like black magic and witch doctors and the whole thing, and what how that affects the church and. 
you know, how, what their lack of training in theology and doctrine, how that makes them weak for false teaching and how people come in and they, and they give them teaching and this teaching is just spread out through the whole country and a lot of times it's bad doctrine. And so you can understand why the church would be weak then and why this is so important. One of the cool things that happened every morning was that Carl Green got up and, you know, uh, and had one of the, the African pastors do a short devotional and then he'd said, does anybody have a song or want to lead in a song? And inevitably, there would be some woman as part of, one of the women as part of the group. I don't, I'm not sure why they were all women, but they all were. And this one woman would jump up and she'd start leading us in a song. And I, uh, about the third morning, I got out my iPad and I recorded some of it. And I, I want to show you some of that if, if we can play this short video. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. I've traveled all around, I've looked everywhere, I've looked behind me, I've looked ahead of me, and there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. I think this was written in Zimbabwe, but I'm not sure. It's a very popular song in Zambia. There is no one, no one like Jesus. They cannot stand still when they sing. I would love to import her. He was great. Another thing that we did, uh, we had what what could be called women's seminars where we gathered together about 25 of the women, the pastor's wives and other women's ministry leaders. And and you might not think, well, that's a very significant deal. But in Zambia, it was four years ago that Patsy Green did their first women's pastor's Women's Pastors' Wives Seminar, and it was the first time it had ever happened in the whole nation. It actually made national news in all of Zambia because it had never, ever happened. Uh, in Botswana, we did this, and it was the second time this had happened in Botswana, as far as we know, and in Zambia, it was the first time. The women in Zambia said, nobody has ever come here to do anything with the wives and the women. Now, if you know a little bit about African culture, you know that women are really treated badly and dishonored in so many different ways. So the whole idea of doing something for women was like a revolutionary, radical concept. And these wives that that went, Patsy Green and and Francie Ogle, who went, they just did this very simple thing. Like they they did this um, Wayne Cordero thing called SOAP, S-O-A-P. Have you ever heard of that? It's a way to study the Bible. It's a very simple kind of thing. Uh, SOAP is scripture, observation, application, Prayer. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. And they just trained the women. They'd never heard anything like this. They didn't know, any, they didn't know how to get into the Word of God for themselves or to, or to glean the truth of the Word of God. Nobody ever taught them or trained them how to do that. And these women brought, um, they had a bunch of women in the churches that they were at. They, they knitted together some really colorful washcloths. And Africans love colorful things. So it was really bright, glowing, orange, red, purple kind of things. And they, and then they, and they brought a little bar of scented soap and they wrapped the soap in this washcloth and they tied it up with a real pretty ribbon and they gave it to the women. And again, you might think, well, nice. I talked to women who were absolutely, they were just broken. They were in tears that someone would come from America and bring them something. It was just an amazing experience for me to see these women say, nobody, had, nobody has ever come 
and honored us or tried to teach us or train us or encourage us and and they were just stunned and amazed and I thought this is this is a work of God I preached in a church um, oh that's uh, teaching it's just a small group of about 25 pastors who in turn are are being charged to train 25 other pastors so the idea is to is to multiply teach faithful men who will teach others also second Timothy 2 2 you know this anyway I preached in a church um, and and this uh, go on to the next slide if you would. Uh, this this pastor's name is Pastor Jubilani Nakomo, and he pastors a church there in Gaborone, Botswana, that is called the Jesus Miracle Center. And and they have a sign. Go to the next picture if you would. It say, actually he calls it the Christ Word of Life Embassy. And the line underneath that is Jesus Miracle Center. And right under that is the line that says Breaking the Cages of Hell. And I thought, this is going to be an interesting experience. And it really was. If, I, if you have some time, I'll tell you about it. But it was quite an experience. And, and it told me a couple of things. One is about their incredible dependence upon the grace of God when they lack so much in resources and training. And the other thing is how desperately in need they are of good doctrine and teaching and fundamental skills. One last thing. Uh, let me show you a picture of the last the group that we met with. This is about half of them. Uh, we gathered together. The other half had to leave. Um, and I just want to tell you about a sweet experience. Then we'll get into the word. word. Um, this is in, in Windhoek, Namibia, which is the capital of Namibia. And we were meeting together, and we did this training for two or three days. And it was you know, I, I talked with them. One of the last things we did was I talked to them for about two and a half hours on integrity, the integrity of the pastor which is, again, something they had never heard before. And the interaction was just amazing. Um, it was quite an experience. And so then when we finally dismissed, Carl Green got up and did some more things on leadership and about team building. It was just very fundamental, basic kind of things, very helpful. They just they just soak it up. And, and, and then when everybody was ready to leave, one pastor walked up to me and said, Pastor Cole, would you pray for me? And I said, sure. And so I put my hands on his shoulders and I just prayed for him. You know, I prayed for him like you would pray for him. Lord, will you bless this guy and help him, keep him, protect him from the evil one, help him to love his wife and love his people and help him to understand your word. Will you fill him with your spirit? You know, those kind of, I prayed for him and then said, amen. And then he stepped away and then another guy walked up and said, Carl, will you, will you pray for me? And I said, sure. So, so I prayed for him and prayed for him, you know, and then said, finally said, amen. And I looked up and they had lined up. And, and Pastor Carl, Carl Green said, I've never seen that happen before. So he said, this is some kind of endorsement of what it is you've been called to do. And it was just one of those sweet experiences for me. And I thought, wow. Um, anyway, it was, one of the, it was a confirmation that God is in this for me, at least. So I wanted to share that with you. Take your Bible now, would you? Our text this morning is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, a very simple place in the Word of God. The last words of Peter in the last letter he wrote, and he talked about growing in grace. So if you have a note sheet, um, I put the first line in your note sheet is, We worship a God of great grace. You know this, don't you? That the God you worship is a God of great grace. This is who He is. This is what He's like. Praise God He's a God of grace. Uh, we sing sometimes, God is good, God is good all the time, God is good. What if he wasn't? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, it's, a bog, it's boggling to even think about it. We're, we're so grateful for the fact that God gives grace, but the fact that God is a God of grace is 
One of the greatest, sweetest realities, one of the greatest truths that exists, that our God is a God of great grace. He, and so he gives grace. Of course he does, because he is a God of great grace. Personally, I've experienced, I've had a new experience of God's grace in my life. And I want to take a pause for a moment and tell you a little bit about it. Because I want to give glory to God and I want to thank you. And I want to just affirm to you that God gives new grace. You ever have any of those aha moments when something happens that's really good and you go, aha. On the other side of the coin uh, are things that happen and you go, "Uh uh-oh. You know, like you walk out, you go to the store and you walk out and your car is not where you left it. You go, "Uh uh-oh. Did somebody steal it or have I forgotten where I left it? Uh Uh-oh, I'm not sure. Or you you come home and your wife says, I have news. You go, "Uh uh-oh. Your, your son calls you on the phone and says, Dad, I have a problem. And you go, oh. Or maybe you won the lottery. Aha. But the aha is immediately followed by an uh-oh, because then you think, now I have to tell all my friends that I buy lottery tickets. And this is, this is definitely an uh-oh. So I had an uh-oh moment some time ago. It's been months ago now in, in my life. It was that moment when I began to realize for the very first time that God was drawing our ministry to a close at Cedar Mill Bible Church. And I went, uh-oh. Hmm. It wasn't that somebody told me or somebody said it's time. It was that God put it in my heart. And I thought, oh, oh. It was, it was unexpected, frankly, um, because I had always thought that I would like grow really old preaching here. I would sort of envision Joshua and Matthew, you know, getting under each of my arms and carrying me up the stairs, <laughs> and coming around here and letting me lean against the pulpit. And... <laughs> it's not a pretty picture, is it? So, sort of envision dying in the pulpit. Not here, of course, but, you know, but... Anyway, that was the way I was thinking, you know, for a lot of years of my life. And then this thing happened in my brain, and I began to think, whoa, oh, I'm finally learning how to preach, and now, now what? Hmm? Uh, do you change jobs when you're 65? This doesn't seem like a brilliant plan, actually. Can I really learn a new way to minister? It was one of those times in your life where, where God seems to be pulling your fingers off of something, peeling them back, and you're sort of holding on to it, and, and God begins to peel you. And, and you don't really know what's next. Is this ever happened to you? It's nice to know what's next so that you feel a pull toward it. But we, we didn't have a clue. I mean, it was like, and I talked to Caroline, and she went, uh-oh. And so anyway, what do you do when these kind of things happen? You pray. You pray and you say, Lord, I am uncertain. I don't know, you know, I need a new work of God's, your faith in my life. I need you to stir up my faith and I need a new work of grace. And and then I began to realize, I began, my heart's attention turned to you and to our church. And I thought, oh God, you know, we, and we began praying for a, what we call a joyful and peaceful transition. Have any of you been in a church where a transition was not joyful nor peaceful? So you know that it's really possible for us to mess this up. And, and I, just, I just wanted to say to you, I am grateful to God for what he's doing among us. And I'm grateful to you, to the people of our church, because you have been so full of grace and patience and trust in our elders, uh, confidence in our staff. This, is, this has been a sweet confirmation to me that God is in this. And I just want to say to you again that I believe the very best days of Cedar Mill Bible Church are around the corner. 
And God is going to do a sweet thing here. Our confidence is not in a man. Our confidence is in the Savior. But on the other hand, God uses people, doesn't he? So there are some good things in store. So anyway, we prayed, and, and then God began to put this thing in my heart about doing this kind of pastor training. I'd never thought, never actually never crossed my mind. And then, I, so I sort of classify this as new grace for me. God's given new grace to me, a new faith, and he's given it to my wife, and I give glory to God. And, and, and I realized again that God is not stingy. That God does not withhold from us what we need. He gives us what we need. And so I'm trying to affirm to you now this morning that, that the same kind of things that have happened to me are happening, have happened to you and will continue to happen to you. So in your note sheet, listen fast. God calls us to grow in grace. God calls us to grow in grace. This is the will of God for us. Second Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. When I read that, I don't know about you, but I easily focus on the word knowledge. Grow in knowledge. We know, we're knowledge-oriented people. I don't know if you, you are, but probably many of you are. You're like me. You, you say, grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Yeah, that's, what, that's, that's why we teach and preach and learn and study, because and, we want to grow in the knowledge about Jesus. And you say, yeah. And when you think back about you know, your life in the past year or two, you'd say, yeah, you've grown in knowledge about Jesus Christ. But it says, grow in the grace. Of our Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It's one thing to say, I know about growing in the knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's like, but what about how do we grow in his grace? John says that he came full of grace and truth. And now Peter says, grow in his grace as well as his knowledge. I want to focus your attention on grow in grace. And I want to ask you the question, have you grown in the grace of God? Are you more of a person of grace than you were a year ago? Are you growing in this? You're growing in knowledge. Certainly you are. But are you growing in grace? Is it true of you? And in order to grow in grace, we're going to have to have an ever-increasing experience of grace. Aren't we? Hello? Yeah. This. So we're, we're going to have to have an ever-increasing experience of grace, aren't we? Of course we are. In order for us to grow in grace... So let me just suggest some things that I think are key from the Word of God. One is, I put in your notes, to grow in grace, I must humble myself. I've got to humble myself and know how dependent I am upon what only God can do. Because one of the things that the Word of God teaches us is that God's grace flows into and through the lives of humble people. There is something like a blockade in our life when we are not humble. Maybe it has to do with the idea that, that we, we get this sense in our own mind that I earn this or I deserve this or I don't really need grace. And the reality is, is that sometimes we go through life and we think we can basically handle what happens in life. But then when something happens that is a crisis or an uh-oh moment or just some kind of difficulty or something we cannot fix, then we say, God, help. And we cry out for the grace of God. Think about the times when you have prayed the most. Most intently, most regularly, most faithfully, most passionately. When are those times? Almost inevitably, when you reach a place of crisis, when there is some kind of problem or need that you cannot fix. And you cry out for the grace of God. You ask God to do something. God, will you do something that only you can do? James chapter 4, verse 6 
James writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The uh, more literal translation would be, God sets himself against proud ones. Now, now, if you're wise, you, you just don't ever want to put yourself in the place where God is setting himself against you. So Paul, or what James is saying there, look, God sets himself against proud ones. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Literally, but to lowly ones, God gives grace. To lowly, So if I'm going to receive more of the grace of God, I'm going to receive the, more of the grace of God in my humility. And then you begin thinking, you look back in your life and you realize this is how we got saved in the first place. The Bible is full of the teaching that, that we are saved by God's grace. We'll put a few of the verses up here. One is 2 Timothy 1.9. God, go ahead and put that up if you would. Second Timothy 1.9. Okay, here we go. Good. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is God's own purpose. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You ever think about that line? I've had people tell me that I don't think I've done too much. I don't think God could forgive me. And, and Paul would write, look, where sin increases, grace increases even more. Think about that. And then, of course, it is by grace you've been saved. We are people changed by God's grace. Is that true? We are people changed by God's grace. Is it true? Are you changed by the grace of God? Yeah, you say, why are you making us talk? Because I want you to actually interact a little bit. I want you to think and then respond to this. Have you received grace? Have you received a lot of grace? Isn't that how we were saved in the first place? And then God is glorified continuously in our life by pouring out more grace in our life. It's not just a one-time grace thing, is it? Isn't it a constant experience of grace? It's a flow, if you will, like a river of grace. And God promises to give us more grace. The Word of God is full of this. Uh, James 4, 6, He gives more grace. Simply put, He gives more grace. God gives grace to the humble. So God promises to give more and more grace to us when we recognize our need, when we recognize our neediness. When I stand and say, I don't need anything, I can handle this myself, God says, I think God says, okay, good luck. I don't know if he says that or not, but it's kind of, the, I think, the, one of the ways he responds. But when I humble myself, when I ask, it's fascinating how he will every time answer that prayer. And then I am grateful again. And then I thank him again. And I say, oh God, thank you for meeting me in my need 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's a verse primarily about money, I think. That when you are in need, God is able to give you the grace. Remember Matt talking about generosity? That God is this generous God who gives to us, and then, and then what happens is we want to receive again. Don't you want to receive more grace? Are you, are you one of these people that says, more grace here, please? Right? right? Of course, of course. I put in your notes, to grow in grace, I must receive more of God's grace for my life today. If I'm going to grow in grace, I've got to have more. I need more of God's grace. This is so very simple. It is receive more grace. 
And this is part of the beauty and the glory of our God, is that He gives more grace, and so we receive more grace. We need God's grace for today. We need more of God's grace for our circumstances. You are facing... Well, what are you facing? What's happening in your life? Students are about to launch into school. You need any grace for school? Please, Lord, grace for school. You have any circumstances, problems, situation in your life where you just you need God to do something? You got any situation where you know that you are not the solution to it, you can't fix it? Are you one of those control people that would just love to control this, but you can't? You can't fix it? You can't really even make a difference and you're depending upon God to intervene? And so you say, God, you're a God of love and you're a God who forgives and you're a God who is patient. So God, I depend upon your grace again. And then the scripture says things like, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Can I just remind you that God is not offended by weakness? Everybody is weak to God. Everybody. You think God ever looks down at us and says, Whoa, they are so strong. That person is so capable... So sufficient, so incredibly brilliant. They have it all figured out. I don't need to help them at all. Nobody is like that. I put in your notes, to grow in grace, I must receive and give more grace. So it is a receiving and it's also giving. For me to grow, it has to be a receiving, giving experience. And one of the things you realize when you grow a little bit as a Christian, sometimes some, we don't know this immediately, I think, when we first become Christians, is that with grace comes responsibility. Go on, go on to the next one, if you would. To grow in grace, I must receive and give more grace. The grace received brings responsibility, it brings obligation. My dad would have said duty. Duty. That if you've been given grace, you don't earn this, you don't deserve it, but if you have been given it, then it comes with, with it comes a responsibility, an obligation, a duty, if you will. So let me ask you, do you accept your responsibility to be a person of grace to other people? Do you realize that that's who you are? That's what God has called you to. Not only you have been changed by the grace of God, yes, you're receiving more grace as days go by. Still true? So then you become a person of grace that now is able to give grace to other people. And one of the most powerful experiences of life, think about some of the, the moments in life when you have been transformed, when God did something so powerful in your life. I would suggest to you that when you think about those moments, you and there aren't so many in our life, but almost every single time there will be, there will be some kind of an experience of grace received that God did something or somebody did something. Maybe you did something colossally stupid, you know, and you thought, they're going to kick me out, they're going to hate me, they're going to reject me, nobody's going to like me, I mean, I'm, I'm a loser, I mean, I've lost, you know, and then this person reaches out to you in grace and acceptance and love, and you're, you're stunned by it because you never, you never expected it. And the whole thing about never expecting it, that's what grace is. When it's undeserved, unexpected, when people do not judge you, nor condemn you, nor you know, or push you away, but they accept you. Some, some of you have some really close friends that you have deeply hurt. 
And because they chose to love you instead of rejecting you, they have become some of your closest friends. Or the other way it works also is, is that sometimes we, you know, somebody hurts us and then we respond in grace and love and acceptance and they are stunned by it and they, they realize they are loved in a way that they never expected to be loved. And those relationships are some of the greatest relationships of life. I put in your notes, every child of God is to be a grace giver. A grace giver. Every child of God. Are you a child of God? Are you not a grace giver? Every person saved by the grace of God has a ministry of grace. My friends, you have the ability to witness for Christ. You have the ability to tell the gospel. The gospel is the gospel of grace. You have the you have the story. Let me ask you again. Have you received grace? Yes. yes. Is God continuing to give you grace? Yes. Are you saved by the grace of God? Yes. So what do you tell other people? Do you have to come up with like this canned thing where you you know you've got to present the gospel in some incredibly brilliant way in order to persuade people by the brilliance of your arguments? Or isn't it just telling our story? Isn't it just saying, This happened to me and I would love it if something like that happened to you. It's like so amazingly simple. But when we make it so complicated that it's something else other than the fact that God intervened in my life, or that I was stumbling or a mess, or maybe I wasn't such a mess, I just didn't even know God or love God, and then He and grace reached out to me. And I have received grace. This is your story. And you have a unique story. Every single one of us do. When Jesus sent out the disciples and he sent them to, from village to village and he told them, go and tell them that the good news of the kingdom is at hand. Tell him that the one who has come to overcome the evil one has come. And he said it like this, Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely give. Just give out of what it is I have given to you. And once more, the basic pattern of Christianity is come to Jesus, be with Jesus, be with one another, and then be sent out with what it is Jesus gives to us. It is as simple as that. And all you have to do is think for a little bit about what Jesus has given to you. What has he given to you? Has he given to you peace? Do you have peace? Do you have a sense of confidence? Do you have faith for the future? Do you think you're going to spend eternity in heaven? With God's people? Do you think that you're forgiven, that you'll be able to stand in his presence? You walk out of here and maybe you drop over dead or you get hit by a truck. and You think you will stand in the presence of Almighty God and he will say, you're okay? You think? It's pretty amazing, actually, isn't it? So what you have freely received, freely give. Someone told me a long time ago, and I've told you this several times, but... It's worth repeating that God never asks you to give anything to anyone that he has not already given to you. God never asks you to give anything to anyone that he has not already given to you or will not give to you as you give it. Which is sort of the more exciting, risk-taking kind of side of it. But he will never ask you to give anything to anyone because Christianity is not a religion of emptiness. Christianity is a religion of fullness. And that he pours into us in order to enable us to give. I've always loved that story of, of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, send all the people home. They're hungry and you know, we're in the wilderness and there's no food. and There's no 7-Elevens around here. We're not able to buy bread. You know, and you remember the response of Jesus? 
Three words. You feed them. Huh? Like, what? Right? That's when they start checking out, you know, so, and Jesus said, how much food do you have here? And he said, well, this is a boy with five loaves and two fish. Remember that story? You know, and then he, and then he told them, he, remember he told, he told his disciples, have everybody sit down in groups of 50. And he began to set, I mean, there's five, there's 5,000 people at least. And he's setting people down in groups of 50 and, and, and still no food. Would you be a little nervous about that time? You know, we're set, you know, he's telling them to set them down, you know, and he's telling you feed them and, and, and then he takes these five loaves and two fish and apparently it's like in a basket. And we still don't know how this worked, you know, where it worked or where the miracle was. Did the miracle happen in the basket of Jesus or when Jesus put a, to reach in his basket and put a little food in their baskets and then they went out and they started giving the food to the guy, to the people sitting down and they started giving the food out and they'd reach down and they'd give it and then there would be more. There would be more and I mean, how I mean, they would never forget that. Remember afterwards, they, they picked up 12 baskets full. I mean, boo. So, so sometimes God will do that to you. Sometimes he will give you a whole bucket of grace. I mean, or, you know, your whole basket will be full. He'll just do something sweet in your life, and you're just like full. And you're, man, I'm ready to minister, you know. I'm, I'm full of love and ready to go. And so, you, I mean, you've got this basket of grace you're hauling around, and you're, you know, giving out of your fullness to other people. And, and then there's other times in your life when you look at your basket, and it is empty. And you have nothing. And then God says, go love these people. You think, I can't do it, I can't do it. But then because he said to, you do it. Out of obedience, sometimes out of sheer obedience, you know, and maybe even fear, you go to him and you say, well, you know, and, and then you look in your basket and you realize you have something to give. And then you look again and you have something more to give. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? My friends, that is why ministry is so sweet. And ministry isn't for the pastors. Ministry is for all of us. That is why when you step out, when you take a little bit of risk, that's why it's it's one of the most thrilling experiences of life because what you realize is that God took your emptiness and he put something inside of you to give to someone that you didn't even know you had. And you become like a vessel, a container, a channel, if you will. And that's what makes it exciting and thrilling as you begin to realize that God gives new grace in the moment if I will simply obey him. So how do we grow in giving grace? Four things. Listen quick. First is, giving grace requires choosing what is not easy to do. This is not easy to do because we got this thing called the flesh. You know, it's there's something sort of satisfying with being angry at people. Or something sort of satisfying with pointing out people's problems. Or trying to correct them. Or this whole thing of payback is sort of satisfying to the flesh. You know, this idea of getting even. Will you acknowledge that this sort of appeals to the flesh in you sometimes? Okay, good. So, so this becomes this becomes a conflict then between this fleshly, natural tendency to want to fix people, change people, correct people, you know, judge people, condemn people, you know, separate people. It becomes a conflict between what the flesh sort of desires and what the spirit desires. And now we're back again to the spirit warring against the flesh so that you cannot do what you please. So do you have the spirit of God living in you? 
Do you? You have the Spirit of God living in you. Do you think the Spirit of God likes grace? I think he really, really does like grace. Don't you think that the Spirit of God would say, this grace thing is really good, really, really good. And so when I pour out my grace in your life, it's so good that you just receive it and you give it away. He likes grace in you. So you have to make a choice. And sometimes it's people that you're a little irritated with, but you have to make a choice. Right? Second thing is giving grace is what God expects of me every day. 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 This is what God expects of me every day. Why? Because we have people in our lives every day. Say, who do I, what, who does God expect me to give grace to? Look around. Who did you come with? Who do you live with? The sweetest thing that happens in a marriage is when a husband and wife give grace to each other rather than something else. The sweetest thing in a friendship is when two people have learned how to be grace givers. When parents give grace to children and children give grace to parents. When grace is experienced in church. When you give grace to that incredibly irritating co-worker. When you give grace to a neighbor, that amazingly irritating neighbor. When you give grace to the other driver on the freeway. Stuff like that there. What does God expect of me in a relationship? He expects me to give grace. Third thing, giving grace is trusting God will work in people. It's been one of the most freeing things for me to realize that God will work in people that I don't have to fix everybody. I don't have to have the answer for everybody. I don't have to fix everybody. Some some of you parents, you've got kids that you're so burdened about. I want to tell you that God is working on them on the inside. They will probably not tell you. But God is working on them on the inside. All we can do is stuff on the outside, have you noticed? But God does things from the inside. Even people who reject him and defy him, he is not put off by that. God doesn't ever say, oh, he doesn't believe in me, therefore I'm not going to work in his life. I mean, I think he's sort of drawn to those kind of people. Okay. So what we do is we realize that we can trust him and, and we can trust that God is actually working in people's lives. Fourth thing is giving grace is often simple kindness and expressing love. Simple kindness and expressing love. It's as simple as that. You know, one of the basic things that I learned in ministry that some time ago, took me a while, I I learned this startling new secret is that people like to be smiled at. Authentically. People like to be told that they're important. People like to be told that you care about them, that you want them, that you want them in your life, that you want them here, that you want to be friends with them. People want to be told that they, that they have value in the eyes of God and value in your eyes. Your children need to be told that you are so incredibly proud of them. Let me ask you again, Mom and Dad, when's the last time you said it? When's the last time you called one of your kids on the phone and said, I just want to tell you how proud I am? I talked to you about this some months ago, remember? Some of you were convicted about it. A few of you said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it today. Did you? I don't think you can ever say it enough. I have three sons. The oldest one is 37 now. He's still so grateful when I tell him, Andy, I'm so proud of you. 
and I am. So people need to hear words of encouragement. My friends, this is just grace. It's just grace flowing out of you. They need to be reminded about the love of God and the fact that you are together with God. We have this thing about community. Don't we need other times other than Sunday morning in order to give grace to one another? I mean, we can only do just, we can just touch on this on Sunday morning or in the lobby or in a church service, but when you gather together in a group, you can really give and receive grace. And that's what makes our small groups, these small gatherings, some of the most powerful things. So I leave this with you. Grow in grace. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the will of God for you. What will you do? Freely you have received. Freely give. My friends, do it today. Be a channel of God's grace today. You're going to, as soon as we dismiss from here, you're going to have an opportunity. You might have an opportunity with the person you're sitting beside. But I guarantee you, before you get to the car, you're going to have an opportunity to give grace. And after you get in the car, you're going to have lots more. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, will you do what only you can do in our midst? Father, we're grateful that you asked, you told us some time ago to ask you to make this a place of grace, of amazing grace, of sweet grace. And that that would only happen if we become people of grace. Father, I want to give you glory for what you've done in this place. I see glimpses of your hand I hear stories from new people who say this is a place of grace and welcome and love. I hear so many stories from people who said there are people here who love me in ways I never was loved before. And good healing and new experience of grace is happening in their life. Father, I thank you that you have good plans for us, both personally and as, as a church. We pour out from the windows of heaven a great grace in our life. May you do abundantly beyond anything we ever ask or imagine. According to the power, there's work within us. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.